you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now, Move the Sticks. Ten takeaways from week 14 with Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, and Rhett Lewis. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks, presented by Zaxby's DJ Bucky, Rhett, back with you here for the Takeaway podcast slash video show. What's going on, boys? It is all good, DJ. I uh, love this time of year because then we begin to see the big teams start flexing their muscle, the physicality shows up in the game, and you can separate the contenders from the pretenders each and every week. Well, and this is one of those games, one of those weeks where we actually saw a lot of blowouts. We didn't see a ton of close games and down-to-the-wire finishes, but what we did see was the playoff picture really coming into view. We have two new number one seeds uh, in each conference. We've seen some teams fall out and then push back in to the bottom of the playoff picture with the three wild card spots in each conference. It's really starting to heat up, and uh, that's what we're here for. Yeah, we're seeing some teams surging in the last quarter. We're seeing some teams slipping, which I think is going to get us beautifully to the first takeaway here, and that was the Sunday night game, and that's where the Bills beat up on Ben. 
Second and five at the 47. Roethlisberger takes the shotgun snap. Going to throw it. Fires it. Is picked up. Intercepted by Terran Johnson in midfield. Running down the right sideline. He's going to score. He's going to score. Touchdown, Buffalo. Touchdown, Terran Johnson. The Bills get a touchdown pick from Terran Johnson. Yeah, look, that was a huge play in the game. They were down 7-3 at that time. They take the lead, and they would never look back. And, guys, going back and looking at the video of this one, the uh, the Steelers, Buck, were 1-10 on third down. So I went back and watched all those third downs. Tell you what they did, man. They they were in a lot of man coverage, and they beat up those wide receivers. Did not that, that offense get in any type of rhythm. And these weren't third and 20s. They, all, the, all those third downs were, were under 10 yards. So they were convertible third downs. And they just challenged them at the line of scrimmage. On a couple times, they put Claypool on his back. Um, so it just, <laughs> to me, they got no rhythm. They had absolutely nothing going. And I thought clearly when you watch that that tape, the Buffalo Bills were the more physical team. Not something you see often when you're watching the Pittsburgh Steelers play. You know, DJ, I'm going to be a little more spicier with my language when it comes to the Steelers <laughs> on offense. They're soft. They're just a very soft offensive team. And you just don't typically hear soft synonymous with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But I think it's telling, and it's been telling over the last month, the Pittsburgh Steelers can run the ball and got to have it situations, meaning short yardage, goal line, and four-minute offense. They cannot run the ball. And when you can't run the ball and you're having to rely on all of these intricate passing routes, I think it speaks volumes about the identity of your ball club. And Ben Roethlisberger has said in the past that it didn't matter uh, whether they ran it or not. He, he changed his tune after last night's game, and I think it's apparent. The Pittsburgh Steelers cannot continue to throw the ball because they don't have a legitimate deep threat, and their quarterback doesn't have the ability to make throws down the field accurately, and so they play in a phone booth, and they're just not good enough to play that way. Yeah, they had under 75 rushing yards, Bucky, for the sixth time in their last seven games. They're averaging under 90 yards a game, no champion has ever been uh, this ineffective in the run game um, and, and it just it feels like James Conner just doesn't have any juice back there it doesn't feel like there's much room for him to get anything done either I know that we've seen some Jalen Samuels we've seen Anthony McFarlane we've seen uh, some of uh, Benny Snell as well it's just just nothing has done the trick for the Steelers run game uh, thus far. And that's a real problem, I think, for this team in particular. And the the offense as a whole feels a little bit less imaginative, a little less creative than we saw earlier in the season when we saw creative ways to get Chase Claypool the ball. We saw Ray Ray McLeod uh, getting in on the action as well. Just haven't seen any of that come together. It feels stagnant uh, for the Steelers offense. And, and then for Buffalo, Man, I mean, it was bad early on on offense. Like, Josh Allen could not buy a completion. And it felt like even though the Steelers' rush wasn't necessarily getting home, I think they only ended up sacking him once, uh, it was affecting the pass game uh, from the Bills. And then, boy, did they turn it around in the second half. And I got to say, I mean, DJ, you mentioned the defense. That pick six from Terrence Johnson at the end of the first half was a game changer because Buffalo came out in the second half – uh, Josh Allen was perfect in the third quarter, did not throw an incompletion. And then we saw Stefan Diggs kind of start to take over some of that quick passing game, get the ball out of Allen's hands uh, quickly to defeat that rush. And they really started to figure things out. Diggs with a little bit of that run after the catch ability. He's the first receiver in the NFL this year to 100 receptions. And guys, I mean, like, tell me if I'm wrong here, but in the end, Buffalo feels like hands down 
more of a contender in the AFC than the Steelers at this point. Well, I'll just conclude it with this. When we watched that game earlier this season with Buffalo, when they played against Kansas City, remember they just played coverage. They played coverage the yeah. whole game. They backed out of the box, and the Chiefs ran the ball down their throats. I think now you're starting to see the confidence they have in this secondary. So I'm looking forward to a rematch there to see if they might try and challenge the Chiefs a little bit. Hey, you're going to get beat. You're going to give up some plays here or there, but challenge them. I like that. Uh, with, with the secondary they have, it's a, it's a really good group. Um, all right, Buck, uh, let's, uh, let's stay on that subject there with the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs blow past the Dolphins. Matt Hawk, the Des Moines native, punch it away. Left-footed punter taken by Hardman. First time he's going to return today. Oh. And he's got an edge at the 40-45. Hardman in midfield, 45-40. Two blocks, 30, 25, jet fuel, 15, 10, 5. Get your boarding pass. The jet is taking you to the end zone. Touchdown, Kansas City. Punt return for a touchdown. The first in the career of McCall Hardman to go with his kickoff returns for touchdowns. The, the Kansas City Chiefs remind me so much of the Golden State Warriors from a few years ago. Mm. It's crazy because this was maybe the worst start that I've seen Pat Mahomes have in his NFL career. He's taking 30-yard sacks. He's turning the ball over. <laughs> They're giving the ball to the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins are up 10-0. And before you know it, they have 30 straight points that they put up on the board. <laughs> it is like watching Steph Curry and Klay Thompson knock down three after three after three with their big playability, and I think it's discouraging and demoralizing to be a team. Yes, the Miami Dolphins closed and kind of got back into the game late with a fourth-quarter flurry, but the Kansas City Chiefs just have this ability to make a run that can completely blow you out the water, and I don't know how you prepare for it because it is unbelievable how they can put points up on the board in so many different ways yeah you know they are calm amidst the chaos and and it was chaos early on in that first quarter for Patrick Mahomes in this offense he had the tip pass uh that was Byron Jones first interception by the way since 2017 which I found uh kind of strange and hard to believe considering the contract he got for Miami but look uh he got it uh and so there you had that that was the one interception and then you had the Mahomes kind of like feeling you know, his ability interception, kind of moving, drifting to his left, trying to throw back to his right, overshoots Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I mean, the 30-yard sack was, again, you know, it's just it's one of those ill-advised things, but you've seen Mahomes make the play before, so I get why he was trying to do it, right? Uh, and it just seemed like, all right, the doors are opening here for the Dolphins to figure this out, but there was still so much time left. There were still so many ways that the Chiefs can find the answers to come back you had Tyreek Hill in the run game, right? The 32-yard run for a touchdown, not to mention his explosive play in the pass game that went for a score. You get the Mecole Hardman punt return. You get the Chris Jones safety. When the chips are down for Kansas City early, like their buyback is better than any team in the league. Five guys with catches of 25-plus yards in this game. So, I mean, you talk about dynamic and explosive, and that's why I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, some of these rematches with, these t- with the Chiefs because – it's kind of darned if you do, darned if you don't. You want to play kind of that soft uh, approach on, in the back end, keep everything in front of you and, and force them to finish drives. Well, we've seen that not be successful. Then we see teams go up there and challenge them, and you see what happens in this game. You get beat over the top. So it's just a, it's an impossible offense to defend for four quarters. You can do it for a half, maybe even three quarters on some days, but eventually they're going to explode. Uh, and that's what happened in this game against Miami. All right, uh, Rhett, keep us going here. What's number three? Come on, baby, make it hurt so good. <laughs> I mean, I had to, right? 
There's Hurts. He's back. He is flooding the football. It is caught. Touchdown! Touchdown! He gets it over to Alshon Jeffrey. A great throw by Jalen Hurts. He gets hit after the throw, but Alshon Jeffrey on the back shoulder fade makes the adjustment. He showed courage. He hung in there, Mike, and took the hit and got it to Alshon Jeffrey, who had turned around at the goal line, made the catch, and backed in. <laughs> Uh, all right, that was a, a terrible intro here, but you, you knew it was coming. With <laughs> it was Hertz, pretty so bad. I'm not going to lie. It was just pretty bad. <laughs> pretty pretty bad. All right. Um, but, see, now what we've done is we set the bar low because Jalen Hurts' performance was fantastic, right? Exceeding all expectations in the first half specifically. They went for over 300 total yards in the first half against the number one defense in football. Uh, they got Miles Sanders going, even even if it really was for only one play, the 82-yard touchdown. Uh, 14 first downs at over 300 total yards in the first half. They get the infamous spark that Doug Peterson's been talking about, that everybody's been talking about by putting Jalen Hurts into the lineup. Uh, it was palpable uh, in that first half for sure. And the defense did their part in the first half, four punts, a pick, a missed field goal. Uh, for the Saints, but for the first time in some 55 games, the Saints allowed a 100-yard rusher, and it was a quarterback, Jalen Hurts, over 100, and then they allowed two 100-yard rushers because Miles Sanders got over 100 uh, as well. So I thought uh, the defense coming with that sack fumble in the second half on Taysom Hill and then Hurts in the offense turning that into points was big to kind of get the final margin uh, for Philly. Did he do enough to get the start next week? Clearly, yes. Doug Peterson has come out and said he will start in week 15 for the Eagles. Has he done enough now to make the Eagles reconsider Carson Wentz's future? I don't know if we're there yet. Yeah, I, I think this is interesting uh, to watch. And I believe it's interesting because Jalen Hurts being inserted to the starting lineup not only gave the Philadelphia Eagles a spark, but I think it gave the offensive coaches an opportunity to hit the reset button on the composition of this offense. The offense that showed up against the New Orleans Saints was unlike what we had seen previously because they were committed to the running game. They used design quarterback runs. They ran some read option stuff. They did movement passes. They did simple isolated routes on the outside. Nothing that was, I would say, mind-blowing, but it certainly had a different tilt or different slant to it than the offense that we've seen with Carson Wentz. Also with Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts had a, a level of calm and composure and poise that I think you don't necessarily expect to see from a rookie. Uh, when you listen to the comments of his teammates, they talked him being a natural leader, how he'd been a winner. They saw him playing these big games at Alabama and Oklahoma and how he was built for the moment. I just think it was the perfect storm and I think it gave Doug Peterson a chance to lean into some other aspects of this team that maybe they hadn't utilized while also playing complimentary football. And it worked for the Philadelphia Eagles. Look, we, we all have kids. And, and this is what I was thinking of. And Rhett, Rhett as you get older, you're going to see more of this. But there's a, there's a thing in the morning that all every parent goes through, which is we've got to get the kids in the car. And you're constantly you're going to have at least one where you're like, you we got to go. Let, let's go. We got to go. Get your clothes on. Get your lunch. We got to go. You're constantly just, yeah, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. To me, that's when I watched Jalen Hurts. The thing he did best in this game was the urgency that he played with, where Carson, we could say, man, the, the tackle got beat, the guard got beat, all these other issues. They're, they don't have guys open, but he didn't speed up his clock to account for that. And I think you give Jalen Hurts a lot of credit in this game. 
There was plays. We'll show it on the aftermath where guys are getting beat right off the snap, but he's decisive. He's taking off and running, or he's getting the ball out of his hands. He just played with with a lot more urgency, uh, I would say, than what we'd seen from Carson Wentz. I thought that was the biggest difference in the two. Yeah, DJ, it's funny because now we've talked about like the ev- the evolution of the quarterback that we've seen in the last three years, right? Where we saw Lamar Jackson come in and kind of give the Baltimore Ravens a spark and they rebuilt their offense. I'm not putting Jalen Hurts in that same category, but when I think of the Taysom Hills, I think of the Lamar Jacksons, not necessarily the Calamari's, but even a Josh Allen. I think now we have to kind of rate quarterbacks differently and we have to think about total yards. So pass yards, rush yards, total offensive production at that position because I think it matters and there's no doubt that he jacked up their running game he gave Miles Sanders a boost and now it's a different feel for how you have to defend them it'd be interesting to see what happens going forward in terms of how teams defend this offense now that they've seen Jalen Hurts play a complete game all right let's keep it going here this is uh takeaway number four and let's get to the rookie because he's uh chasing rookie of the year takes the snap of the gun fakes left now has to cut through ball is out a fumble picked up by Chase Young. He's running at the 45-40. Has blockers in front of him. 25-20-15-10-5. Touchdown, Chase Young. Touchdown, Washington. He has a sack, a forced fumble, and now a touchdown. Folks, we actually saw this in practice on what was their turnover Thursday, which was actually Friday. Montez Sweat tipped the ball. Chase ran in for a touchdown. It was apparently just a practice and a warm-up for this moment here. Yeah, look, they're practicing, and apparently uh, it's carrying over. That, that's an understatement there when you look at what Chase Young did in this game. Making plays at the line of scrimmage, batting balls down, chasing from the backside, just so active. And, look, we can look at the stats, and we can find guys that have had impressive rookie seasons. We had uh, Jeremy Chin on the show last week who's been outstanding, and he's, he's in that conversation. We've seen Antoine Winfield do some really good things. But if we're just saying who's the best rookie, I mean, who's the best football player? It's Chase Young. And this was another example of that, Bucky, when you watch this game. You know, DJ, it's funny, right? Because we talked in the draft, he was the best prospect in the draft. Uh, combination of size, strength, athleticism, the production, all of that. So you take him number two overall, and Chase Young is giving you exactly what you expect. Immediate impact, disruptive player. Um, I look at this Washington football team, and their level of physicality stands out on tape, particularly on defense. They get after it. They're physical, they're nasty, and they're able to do it in what I believe is a very simple scheme. Chase Young has been a difference maker, and yes, when we're talking about defensive rookie of the year, look beyond the stat sheet. Just turn on the tape and watch them, and you feel his presence off the tape. He is a dominant player, and the Washington football team is going to be a tough team going forward because their defense can play the right way. So I thought the headline from the Washington Post this morning was pretty fitting, considering what we're talking about here. The headline was Chase Young demands attention. And now Washington football team does, too. And I I think they got it right here. And we're not box. uh, We're not box score scouting uh, here on the Moose Sticks podcast. But I mean, read the box score in this one. Okay, six tackles, one for a loss, a sack, two passes tip, the scoop and score fumble recovery. And two quarterback hits to go along with it. I mean, like, he just he stuffed it in every category that you could possibly imagine. And even when I just thought it was interesting at the very end of the game, even when he wasn't on the field, the camera was still on him. The ISO kept going back to Chase Young as as Washington was trying to ice this game. 
and I, I just like I think about that and I think about the conversation that's been reported that Dwayne Haskins had his former Ohio State teammate with him during that month long stretch of almost six week stretch where he kind of went without making a huge impact on the game. I uh, only had like one sack in that stretch. He said, look, the things that you were doing in college don't work here. you got to find a way to make an impact uh, in, in different ways. And man, did we see that in this game? Um, he was as impressive a defensive rookie performance as we've seen all year. No doubt. Uh, let's keep the train rolling here. Who's next? What we got? All right, Buck. Is it me? Don't can out. The You're Cardinals. Up. So first down to the Giant 36. Five receivers. McCoy back to throw. Pressure coming. Sacked by Reddick, and he forced the fumble. That's his fifth sack of the day. Waiting to see who recovered it. But, man, Hassan Reddick has owned the New York Giants here today. You know, the Arizona Cardinals are back in the mix. They're, they're back in the running for the playoff berth. And their defense has really been steady throughout the process. I think what was great to see against the New York Giants, Hassan Reddick being everything that many of us thought that he could be when he was coming out in the draft. There was a lot of intrigue and fascination about him because he was so versatile. He did a bunch of different things at Temple. Well, we got a chance to see that play out. Five sacks in the game, accounted for five of their eight sacks. Did a great job of putting persistent and consistent pressure on Daniel Jones and then Colt McCoy. I just think Vance... Joseph has really dialed it up and made this a very aggressive defense and it's working for the Cardinals. They are a team that, look, we talked about the pinky square, they're going to be in the playoff mix. They're a team to be feared, not necessarily because of Kyler Murray, their offense, but because the defense is finally beginning to come together. Yeah, uh, Hassan Reddick, just to put the performance into perspective, his five sacks uh, were more then 25 teams were able to generate this week in the NFL. It was just amazing to watch that performance against uh, this Giants offensive line that was clearly having their issues. I mean, it started right from the get-go, and Marcus Golden came around the quarterback's front side untouched to essentially uh, force the turnover on the strip sack of Daniel Jones. I mean, you kind of got a feel for what kind of day that was going to be uh, from the jump. I mean, they started – there had absolutely nothing going on offense for the Giants. Uh, defense held up as best as it could early, but turnovers came back with the three turnovers. Daniel Jones had a three-game stretch where he wasn't turning the football over. That obviously ended on Sunday. They had just three third-down conversions and 159 total yards offense um man i i don't know how when you're playing for a division when you're playing for your playoff lives i i don't know how you turn in that type of performance other than what other than to say that maybe you're just playing above your head the last few weeks but um the giants have now given the division lead to the washington football team it's gonna be tough for them to make up that ground yeah this uh this nfc has been a trip to watch it changes each and every week in terms of uh, what's going on with those teams. The only thing I'll add on that with the Giants as we move on to the next one here with Rhett on Takeaway 6 is the Giants need to incorporate the Mike Singletary strategy for skill position players this year. I want winners. You need to have some guys that can actually win one-on-one. -on -one. They don't have enough. They, they yeah. just don't. They've got to find more guys that can uncover because we can talk about the issues they had up front in this game, and they were plentiful across the line. But I can point to three or four of those sacks where you see Daniel Jones and Colt McCoy patting the ball, patting the ball, patting the ball because they have nowhere to go because they don't have guys that can win. Uh, so, so there you go. That's I'm just saying the Mike Singletary strategy this offseason for wide receivers. Go ahead, Rhett. What's number six? I want winners. All right, number six, the Jets get the 
the Seahawks right. Ross gets the shotgun snap, looks to the end zone, steps away from one man, throws to the back of the end zone, touchdown, Seahawks! David Moore loses his defender under the goal post, makes the catch. That play made by Russell Wilson, who had somebody grab a hold of his foot. He shook him off and said, get away, I got a touchdown to throw, and he does. Well... I mean, the Jets have provided this kind of opportunity to teams all season long. And the Seahawks, who started out the season 5-0 and going into their bye week, had gone under 500 in the seven games since and have fallen from the NFC West lead, got the opportunity to play the Jets and absolutely took advantage. Russ, well, he got back in the kitchen in this one. We saw the four touchdowns, only had the one turnover in this game. Fifth such game this season where he had four touchdowns, now has a career high and passing touchdowns with 36 and uh, look the Seattle defense guys is going to have a hard time overcoming their first half of the season it was historically bad particularly in pass coverage but if you look at the way they've been playing the last month since week 10 they are top three in football right now in points per game allowed they've cut their averages in points per game allowed in total yards allowed and in pass yards allowed in half Think about that. They were giving up over 32 points a game. They've dropped that now down to just over 16. Same goes for passing yards allowed. They've gone from almost 400 a game to uh, almost uh, just under 200 a game. It's been an impressive turnaround for Seattle on defense and something that could allow them to kind of change the narrative over the last, that, that we've seen over the last seven weeks that the defense was going to be the liability for this team in the postseason. Yeah, Ray, that's interesting that you bring that up about the defense because the more that I watch this team, the more that I believe that Jamal Adams is the X factor to their title run, meaning he's their best pass rusher. He showed it again. He has eight and a half sacks. He's living in the box. He's doing all of the things that Pete Carroll used to do with Troy Palomalo when he was at SC. I Mm. think he has added a dimension to this front line, this pass rush that gives them a chance I'm still not all the way sold because they're kind of beating up on kind of the, yeah. the I won't say the, the slappies I, I, of the league. That's, that's where but, I was going, Buck. But it is impressive they, they've cut the number down. I just need to see them do it against a team that has a formidable offense. Then I'm all in on the Seattle Seahawks and their viability as a Super Bowl team. Yeah, Rhett, I'm going to give you the last word as we wrap this up. But um, on the list of impressive accomplishments, holding the uh, Philadelphia Eagles to 17, the New York Giants to 12, and the New York Jets to three in order to get all those fancy statistical improvements that you pointed to. I want to know how impressed you are with that when you really, really dig into it. Well, as I've been told time and time again uh, by many a head coach, um, you know, we don't control the schedule. Uh, we just play the teams that are put in front of us and the team that lines up across from us on game days. And it's our job to uh, compete in those games. And uh, that's what the Seahawks have been able to do now. Uh, now, keep in mind, they also limited the Arizona Cardinals to 21 points at a time where uh, they were playing well. So, uh, you know, they, they kept the Rams to just 23 points, even though that was a loss. I mean, like this is uh, this was a, a better. Let's just say it's been better regardless of opponent, considering where they started. And it was really bad at the front of the season. This is this is how I'll finish this up as we wrap this one up here. I just know now I need to be a critical thinker 
when Rhett brings things up to me in stories. Because when he says, I won a 5K this weekend, I need to figure out if that was at Conway's preschool um, for who he beat <laughs> in know. 5K. So I just got to do a little more homework now when, uh, when I hear from Rhett on these things. All right, let's keep it moving here as we roll along here, looking at the Raiders and a team coming off a big loss there against the Indianapolis Colts. But I'm springing this forward with my takeaway. The Raiders... They just need to run the table. Second down and long for Indianapolis. Moving it right to left. They'll sweep it right side to Jonathan Taylor. Huge hole. 45, 50, 45, 40. Down the far sideline. Out sprinting everybody. 10, 5. Jonathan Taylor. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. A 62-yard run for the rookie out of Wisconsin. His longest rush of the season. And now the Colts lead it 26 to 17. Yeah, that was a big run. I actually uh, posted this play. It's a sweet play design where it's an RPO where they they got a pass on the left side of the formation with the, with the left tackle taking a pass set. You've got two men uh, option over there for Phillip Rivers, and everything else is run to the right, and the Raiders just completely uh, botched it. They completely ran with the with the pass and, and vacated the middle of the field, and off the races goes Jonathan Taylor. But I'm not here to give you bad news on the Raiders. I'm actually here to give some encouragement, Buck. And, and you know Raider Nation, they, they need encouragement every now and then. So... I'm going to say you've got two home games coming up, a short week Chargers this week on Thursday. Then they play the Dolphins, a team they're jockeying for position with uh, to get into the postseason. They finish up at Denver, a team that's 5-8 and eight right now. So I think the, if they can win those three games, I think the Raiders are going to find their way into the postseason. So as bad as this one looked, if you're the Raiders, this is one of those great examples of you better flush this quick and get ready to play on Thursday night. Yeah, you got to flush it real quick. Uh, one of the people were flushed, Paul Gunther, their defensive coordinator, was flushed. It was the eighth time that the Raiders have given up 40-plus points in the three years since John Gruden arrived. And so he felt like he made it a change. He's handed over the play sheet to Rod Marinelli. Rod Marinelli is going to put the number one priority on effort, making sure they play hard, they finish at the ball, they do a good job of tackling. And they'll probably play more soft zone and see if they can keep the ball in front. And when you think about the way the Raiders want to play, ball control, physical offense, a bend but don't break defense, they still have a chance. We'll see how quickly Rod Marinelli can put it together on defense, but that's what's the task at hand for the Raiders. All right, a couple of questions uh, for you guys here. So looking now at the defensive coordinator switch and the philosophical change perhaps that comes with Rod Marinelli, talking about more soft zone, does that make it less – does that make the – the need for pass rush less vital because it's clear that the Raiders don't have one. This is the fifth game this season. They, uh, they did not register a sack. They have just 15 on the year. So is that, is that one way to, I guess, counter the, one of the weaknesses of this team? Yeah, I think they're going to have to get a pass rush. I don't care any any scheme you want to look at, however you want to diagram it, right? If you if you're going to play soft zone and you're going to and you're not going to get to the quarterback, you're going to get picked apart. You know, just as if you were playing man, you can't get a pass rush, you're going to get picked apart. Uh, you've got to find a way to generate some pressure. They just they have to do that, and they they haven't been able to do so. And the other thing is linebacker wise, they just they aren't very good at the second mm. level. So those guys don't play aggressive. They don't play downhill, and and I'll I'll get to Bucky with one question here as we wrap up on the Raiders. Then Bucky, you can take your your uh, your Vikings takeaway coming right out of this. But um, I, I'm watching, and you've talked about it. We've talked about Jamal Adams and how he's been used uh, with the way Seattle's used him to let him rush. And I'm sitting there looking at Jonathan Abram, who to me has a lot of DNA similarities there with how he plays the game. 
Why not let him drop down? We just saw Hassan Reddick, who's 235 pounds, have a five-sack game. So if you've got a dynamic athlete who, who has struggled a little bit in the post and playing in the back end, why not drop Jonathan Abram down there and try and use him on some games and get him rolling a little bit to spice up this pass rush? Yeah, I think that has to be in their bag because they cannot generate a pass rush. Max Crosby is the only credible threat on the line, and he hasn't been able to consistently get home. And so when you're unable to rush the passer, it really doesn't matter whether you play man or zone. The quarterback can have his way. And so it's something that Rod Marinelli would have to do. I don't know how much you can fix in the middle of a season, but it's something that he has to figure out because the Raiders are good enough to be a playoff team, but their defense is really holding them back. What do you got here on the Vikings here, Buck? The Vikings miss out on a big win. Second and goal from the nine, Cousins, shotgun, facing a blitz, fakes a handoff, he's hit, and he dropped it, and Kirk fell on it at the 20. It'll be a sack, Levante David, the first to get to him. They went play action, and two players were up on Cousins. It's an 11-yard loss. There's nothing number eight can do about that. You know, DJ, if you just looked at the box score, you would come away thinking that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are ready, that they found their identity, and this is team to ready to make a, a Super Bowl run. But in watching that game, the Minnesota Vikings dominated the game. And for whatever reason, they weren't able to put points up on the board. The first quarter, Dalvin, Cook, and company, they had over 70 rushing yards in the first quarter. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers had, had no answer for this running game. But what happened, every time you play the style that the Vikings are playing, you have to be able to cash in at least with field goals. Dan Bailey missed three field goals and an extra point. Cost him 10 points. And when you look at the differential, the 10 points not only would have changed the game, but it would change the way the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had to play. It's a disappointing and heartbreaking loss for a team that I believe they probably walk into the building today and say, we outplayed the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but we didn't get our reward. Yeah, for a team with playoff aspirations, this is the wrong team to have questions at the kicker spot. This is a time of the year where if games come down to the wire, you need to rely on that. And that's where the Vikings stood coming into this game in the seventh and final playoff spot in the NFC. They now find themselves on the outside looking in. And to your point at the top there, Bucky, about the the Bucks and specifically about their offense, I, I mentioned it in our aftermath production meeting, uh, getting set for our three o'clock Eastern time broadcast today on NFL Network. I felt like every time the Bucks have won this season, we've asked the question, all right, are they finally figuring it out on offense? Is this finally the product that we're going to see carry this Buccaneers team into the postseason and give Tom Brady another shot uh, at a Super Bowl run? I don't know. I mean, you know, we saw the the definitive play made in this game by the, the most unheralded receiver on this team and Scotty Miller in the deep touchdown catch. Um, who had kind of disappeared from the game plan since Antonio Brown came along. I know Rob Gronkowski ended up scoring um, in this one as well, but I, I just I'm still left with questions when it comes to the Bucks offense, and and I don't know that there's enough time left in this season to truly find all the answers. But there is also, by that same token, DJ still time for the Bucks to truly figure this thing out here. Three games left. Um, and, and before they can find their way into the playoffs here, but they still got to do it. Well, I thought a little rest there for Tom Brady. You saw him play well. I know the numbers weren't great, but you saw that, especially that deep ball. Um, I thought he threw the ball pretty well. The, the challenge is going to be in years past when he's been in New England, as he's gotten older, Tom Brady's usually had that bye to try and freshen up as yeah, they have to go on and win get three it. games. And that's not happening this year. So from here on out, uh, we'll see how that wear and tear, uh, how he holds up through that process. 
Uh, all right, what's the next one here? What do you got, Red? The Jags bend the knee. Give Henry. Find room 50. Henry 40. Henry 30. Henry 20. Henry 10 and taken down by Herndon at the five. Nice angle by Herndon to get there. But the big man, Derek Henry, has just picked up 47 yards. Yeah, I guess if you're the Jags defense, um, you know, you can uh, look back on this performance and say you're not the only ones. Uh, Derek Henry, uh, now for the fourth time in his career, has gone for over 200 yards and scored two plus touchdowns. Uh, And I hope this is okay in the Daniel Jeremiah book of context. Um, Everyone else who's done that is a Hall of Famer, okay? And nobody has more such games in NFL history. Derrick Henry surpassing uh, Jim Brown, uh, surpassing Barry Sanders, surpassing LaDainian Tomlinson for the most 200-plus yard games with two scores. Just another signature King Henry rushing performance in this game. Now, here's here's where I want to have a little debate with you guys, because uh, our research team, uh, when they sent out their postgame research, I thought this was kind of interesting. You know how in, in the NBA it's all about your big three, right? Is your big three as good as this big three? Well, talking about the Titans and their big three with Tannehill, Derrick Henry, the league's rushing leader, and A.J. Brown, probably top five receiver in this league right now. Is there now look, there are better offenses in totality. Um, there are better teams probably in totality, especially on paper. But is there a truly better trio out there right now than Tannehill, Derrick Henry, and A.J. Patrick Brown? Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. Any other no, questions you got? No, for me? no, Red? no, you're missing the point, DJ. It's gotta be a running back. The big You three. didn't specify. You gotta oh, give me on. the rules of this contest you're trying no, to host here. That's what I'm <laughs> you gotta give me some guidelines. It's yes, I'm talking about running back, wide receiver, and quarterback. Uh, I'll put Ty- I'll put Tyreek Hill at running back. There you go. <laughs> Always looking for I the mean, easy way de- out. Bucky, what do you think? Yeah, it's definitely a, a very formidable uh big three because they're physical, they're they're tough, they're efficient. Uh it's hard to match up with them. They are the hard guards. I mean, yeah, maybe Devontae Adams and what Aaron Jones. Yeah, I mean, I take, I, take the, I mean, I would take Derrick Henry over Aaron Jones, but I would take obviously take Aaron Rodgers over Ryan Tannehill. Yes, not close. yeah, no, I get that. And Devontae sure. Adams, I take over AJ Brown. A little more of a discussion, but I, they win two of the three matchups there. Yeah, I'll give you that one. I'll give you the Packers, but they're up there, and that's what's going to make the Titans a fun watch here uh, down the stretch and into the playoffs, especially competing with the Colts here for the AFC South. You know, Rick, what about you, Glenn? What about Glenn and Robinson and Shark? We're not going to have this conversation. There you go. Well, no, we're well, not. Gardner Minshew is back starting this week, so Glenn is all done. Breaking news. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get to the final takeaway here. Speaking of the Chargers, uh, Chargers. It was a. Uh, it was a complete win for the Chargers. Now comes Mike Batchley for a game winner, and wouldn't that be a great exclamation point, DJ, to have special teams get a walk off here today? Or they are due. Absolutely due. Chargers are due for something good to happen on special teams, and now you got a chance to walk this one off. Batchley along at 53 this season. This one going to be from 43. Right hash. Kick is up, and it is good. Chargers win. Mike Badgley with the game-winning field goal. Money fired up, fired up for the big win there for the Bolts. Look, look this was a, this was, it could have gone really bad. If they lose that game, then all the focus and attention is going to be on the debacle at the end of the first half where they ran the ball with 20 seconds left, did not get any, didn't get any points uh, when they're at the, what, the 10, 11-yard line, it was, a, it was a debacle. But they end up overcoming that and winning. 
This is a game where they actually had a big uh, kick return from Nas Adderley. Uh, their starting safety, who they've put on kickoff return now, is Anthony Lenz taking over special teams. He had a big return. You have the game-winning kick there from Badgley at the end. You had a defense that, that forced uh, three interceptions against Matt Ryan. And offensively, Herbert, when he had to make plays, made him, including, I thought, uh, arguably his best throw he's made all year long, which is saying something, to set up that game-winning field goal on a deep corner, which was uh, just a, a, a missile uh, that he threw there. So uh, one of the few times you saw that the Chargers collectively as a team come together and get a win. And, uh, you know, the, the other thing I would say, my takeaway after watching this game live, uh, Rhett, I'll get to you on this one, because is there a more underrated and I would say even superstar in this league than Ridley. Calvin Ridley is good, man. When you see him in person with how fast he yeah. plays and how clean he is, he is a stud. He is a special player. His suddenness is I mean, his suddenness and acceleration. Like, it's almost unexpected. Like, you feel like he's at top speed, like in his top gear, and then he finds this separation speed, right, at the very end. And I mean, he can get three yards of separation in literally the blink of an eye. His routes are so good and so crisp. Um, you know, he he was basically the entire Falcons offense in this game, right? I was actually kind of curious as to what you guys thought of Matt Ryan's performance in this game. Obviously, he ended up with three interceptions, and it's kind of been a, a troubling trend uh, for Matt Ryan in the second half of the season, in a season that could prove pivotal to his future in Atlanta. Uh, guys, since week eight? There's only three quarterbacks in football with a lower passer rating than Matt Ryan. Um, and it's Sam Darnold and Carson Wentz. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. DJ and I have had this conversation about the Atlanta Falcons and whoever comes over and takes over as the general manager. And if they move on from Raheem Morris as the interim head coach and bring in another head coach, where do you believe Matt Ryan fits in with the rebuild? Is it a retool or a rebuild? Because when you look at Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan is like, one of the last of a dying breed of quarterback, the traditional yeah. pocket passer that offers no athleticism and mobility. Can you continue to win in this league with those superheroes that we're seeing on the defensive line that are attacking the quarterback? And so I believe this year they got to go and look and seriously entertain getting the quarterback of the future in this draft because Matt Ryan is certainly on the back nine of a pretty solid NFL career. Well, when we look at it, and if the season were to end today, the Atlanta Falcons would have the seventh pick. So in a draft where we think conceivably we could see four quarterbacks go in the top ten, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah, um, They're going to be in range to get an interesting player there if they, if they, if they want to go that route. And, and maybe, you know, Matt Ryan ends up giving you one more year as you give that time, that player time. I mean, I think to me, you look at Trey Lance, who's somebody that probably could use a little bit of seasoning. He's 20 years old. He's only been a one year be real starter, but just got tons of ability and a lot of athleticism. That might be a good spot for somebody like him as we as we look towards the future. But uh, it was good. It was nice to actually leave uh, leave the stadium. Um <laughs> Not not uh, running through your mind as you're walking to your car about uh, you know a special teams lapse something right. that you've never seen before right. uh, with the Chargers. So they got to win, uh, and uh, and Matt Matt had one of his better calls of the year. So kudos to money. Well, Buck, a fun show today. Excited about the future, man. We are coming down the home stretch here of the NFL season. Hey, DJ, we call it the dash for the cash. This is all about trying to get in the tournament. We know those playoff bonuses mean a lot to players. More importantly, you're trying to chase the ring. All right. Well, it, no doubt. It's a dash for the cash. Uh, it's a great way to put it. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for hanging with us today. I want to encourage you to check out the podcast. Find that Apple podcast wherever you get your podcast. You can find all of our videos, nfl.com slash MTS video. You can also check us out on YouTube, YouTube 
youtube.com slash NFL podcast. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. We'll see you next time right here on Move the Six presented by Zaxby's. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.